for July 25th, 2017. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflor. Yeah, we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. But uh, don't don't rely on too much scrolling from last week for all your information because we were on vacation and we recorded a show before all the interesting news happened. Sorry, everybody. Well, that's how it works during the summertime. <laughs> yeah, listener Kyle and Kevin and Deb all contacted me and said, um, uh, are you, why, why didn't you talk about the big story of the day on Tuesday? I said, well, we, we recorded it a week, a week and a half ago. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to, we, uh, we got all the good stuff. We have there. a new segment called old news. <laughs> <laughs> Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Film at 11. And boy, oh boy, have I been watching movies. I am off for the summer. Two more weeks. Two more weeks of summer, and then I am done. Two more weeks, and then you start preparing Uh for the first day of of class. Uh Uh-huh. Well, rock and roll. So I got to see a lot of interesting stuff. My son and I went downtown Chicago, and we got to see Mystery Science Theater 3000 live, the Watch Out for Snakes tour, on stage at the Vic. So tell me, what's the difference between the live tour and, say, watching it on through Netflix right now? It's a play. It's a play. They took all of the elements of this TV show and they worked them into a stage play where you are in on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You are watching this happen on stage. And let me tell you, the timing, the comic timing that they've put together in this presentation is impeccable. They are doing an episode live on stage. So the fans were very happy about this. The fans were elated. The place was packed. Michael Albright was there with his wife and all of the wonderful people, uh, our whole community, the MST3K Chicago community was there. Excellent. Buying merchandise and and drinking and eating. And we we sat in a a lovely restaurant across the street and had a whole meeting of, of the MST3K Chicago meetup group. This is fun. We had so much fun. Even the 11-year-old who really, really just wants to hang out with dad and doesn't really like this silly people talking over the movie thing, he even enjoyed some of the fart jokes. Well, awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. We'll have to remind ourselves of that theme. All right, keep going. What's going on? What else did you say? Oh, I got to the movie theater, and I got to see The War for the Planet of the Apes. Opening day, give me a Planet of the Apes movie any day, but opening day, War for the Planet of the Apes, this movie is, I think, my favorite Planet of the Apes movie, including all the Charlton Heston classics. Sure. Well, I mean, the classic was is the classic, right. and then they went downhill from there, right. but they were enjoyable. And then we had the Tim Burton reboot, and then we have this new trilogy. It's the third part of uh-huh. that trilogy. And it really is. It truly is the third part of a trilogy. They, they actually have an opening crawl where they explain the story that's happened up to this point. And is this going to continue to another episode? I don't believe that there are plans for a fourth episode of this story, but there certainly could be. Wonderful. It certainly was left open-ended. I'll tell you, Chip, this is this is the movie that is the pivot for CGI. Okay. I laughed harder than it 
just about any movie. I cried harder than just about any movie this year watching this movie. We're watching Pixels. We're watching these apes that aren't really there, Mm -hmm. but the actors who did the face capture, motion capture to make these apes happen, the the acting is amazing. Okay. Okay. You sold me on this. I, I wanted to see it. I was busy. Um, so this is not the only thing you got to see. You got to see Power Rangers. I got to see the Power Rangers Power, movie. Power Rangers was released earlier this year. Yes. Uh, so tell me about this. A lot of people would, would laugh and say, oh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Ha, ha, ha. You're watching a children's movie. This is a good movie. This is a good character development movie. The Power Rangers on TV mm-hmm. in the 90s, it, it was what it was. It was a, an imported in idea that these kids are fighting these giant monsters you know how much I love kaiju movies. Sure. You know I love Godzilla. I love the Power Rangers. This movie gives us some backstory for those characters. This is a character development study along with some really good CGI. And is this something that is sort of grew from like the Marvel uh, type of... Yes. So they basically took that... Uh, presentation and they brought it over to Power Rangers. They applied it to something from the 90s, which is something that we're doing a lot nowadays. We're taking things from the 90s and applying new found perspective to them. Power Rangers is a good movie. It is surprisingly good. When it's on HBO, you should watch it. And then you saw something that was more mature. Yes. And this is a movie called Split. Split is the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. And if you know anything about M. Night Shyamalan, you know that I can't tell you very much about this story. There's got to be a surprise somewhere. Right. <laughs> this story is is about a guy who is diagnosed with 23 distinct personalities and played by James McAvoy. James McAvoy is one of the greatest actors on screen right now. He... So, ding, we should, we should remember that because it's going to come up uh-huh. later on in the show. James McAvoy, in this movie, he changes into these 23 different characters with no makeup change, with no costume change. Well, occasionally a costume change. His face changes shape when you see him transfer from one character to the other. Really? Brilliant acting. I don't know how he did it, but it's it's a, a marvel to watch. And for people who are watching streaming shows right now, Netflix... You got to see a movie called Lion. So tell me yes. about that. We talked about this one last year when it came out. This is this is a true story about a five-year-old boy in India who gets lost. He gets lost in the streets of Calcutta, where he he's not from Calcutta. He's from okay. he's from thousands of miles away from Calcutta. It turns out, and he gets lost on the streets of Calcutta at, at five, and he doesn't know what to do. He he does not speak the language of the people of Calcutta. He speaks Hindi, they speak Bengali. And so, what do you do when you're five? He eventually finds somebody to help him. He finally finds a home with a couple in Australia. He gets flown to Australia and adopted by a couple, okay. and lives his life in Australia as an Australian man. And he realizes one day that this is not who he is. He is this five-year-old boy who got lost, and he goes on a quest to find out where he's from, to find his mother and his brother, and to get back. This is the most touching, sad... If you're a parent 
and you're watching this, you're going to cry. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this. And this is on Netflix. This is right now on Netflix. I, I recommend this highly. It won a lot of awards. The kid is adorable. Okay. He was at the Oscars, and uh, he was he was the kid at the Oscars last year. And this is a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching. You, you're thinking about your kids going, wow, what would they do? How would they survive? Sure. And, and nature yes, finds a way. Nature finds a way. Uh, all right, so we have a whole bunch of stuff opening up this week. Yeah, there's some good movies still. There's still good movies coming out, even though summer is almost over for me. It's not over for everybody else. Everybody else is still saying, it's July, Steve. It's okay. Atomic Blonde is opening this week. This is... Charlize Theron. Yeah, Charlize Theron. Okay. And other people. The, <laughs> the other people in this one... James McAvoy. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, it yes. just showed up. It's like it's like he set it up this way, Steve. Yes. I have high expectations for this movie after seeing Split. I sure. think James McAvoy is going to do a great job, and he's going to hold up against Shir Shirley's Theron, because you put Shirley's Theron on screen, and all the other actors have to do something special in order to make me look at them. <laughs> all right, so if you were a child right now, what would we go see this week? Yeah, your daughter and my son both are excited about the Emoji movie. And initially, when we saw this was coming out, I had no excitement for this. My daughter and I watched the trailer, mm -hmm. and she goes, oh, I want to see this. And she was with her friends, and they all wanted to see this, yeah, too. It, it is certainly appealing to that demographic. That's the demographic that they're going for. I will probably be dragged to the Emoji movie. The good news is the poop emoji... Yes, who is that? ...is played by Sir Patrick... Stewart. Make it so. Make it so. <laughs> I'm sure there's a make it so joke in there somewhere. It seems, this is silly. It's an all-star cast. All I can think of is, is Austin Power. <laughs> with number two. With oh, right. I'm sure there's a number two joke. I'm sure there's, I, 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 would, I would put money on it's a. It's going to go low, baby. A Will Riker character shows up and, and, and the poop emoji calls him number two. I'm sure that there is some sort of. This movie is it's going to go silly. very low. It's silly. <laughs> and, and silly fun. It's silly. It's an all-star cast. you got T.J. Miller in there, who's just ridiculous. You've got all these ridiculous voices. It, this one, this one's going to make some money, surprisingly. So if Luke Skywalker was going to star in a movie coming out this week, which one would he be in? Well, I don't know what Luke Skywalker would be in. But there is a Mark Hamill movie. Oh, the, oh. his cousin, his cousin Mark Hamill. Do you remember that The Muppets? Do you remember The Muppets when Mark Hamill was the guest star and they had two guest stars? It was Mark Hamill and his cousin Luke Skywalker. No, I forgot. Oh about my that. God! Oh, the seventies! Oh, the seventies! Mark Hamill is going to be in a movie called Brigsby Bear. This is written and starring Kyle Mooney, who is a, a very fun actor and uh this is about a like a, a children's program right and a kidnapped kid who is like recreating this program I, there's a there's a strangeness to there's it there's a trailer that is so strange that i don't know what this movie is about well it looks like there's gonna, it's an interesting exploration this may be sort of um, something I will definitely see when it's streaming. I mean, it looks like it's really kind of intriguing. It looks like one of those award-winning, you know, Cannes Film Festival sort of weird indie movies. You've got Claire Danes in there, you've got Greg Kinnear in there, and you've got Andy Samberg in there. Sounds like you have a great All cast. star cast. I have high expectations for that one. And yes, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill can do whatever voice he wants. 
A Family Man is another movie that's coming out. This is kind of intense. Yeah, this is this is a deep this, breath kind this of movie. Is, this is the adult film. I'm sorry. This is the more mature film for the. Uh... <laughs> this is the one you don't take the kids to. This is the story of a man who is in a high stress job, doing high stress things, and neglecting his family. And then something happens to his son, and Life he happens. and he has to make a decision about whether he's going to be this high stress lifestyle guy or if he's going to step away because he needs to to be at home and life happens and a lot of people have to make difficult decisions and you know when you have a family it's not always just your your goals right so anyway um there's also the netflix fairy continues to give yeah this one's called the incredible jessica james which is a really strange title because i keep thinking it's jessica jones it's not jessica jones it's jessica james this is a uh new york lady aspiring playwright who who wants to to make it in new york and is rebounding from a breakup this is one of those you know uh, not sex in the city but playwright in the city sure so, yeah sure it looks like it's fun oh i'm sure so anyway try an episode there's so many things go see planet of the apes <laughs> you, you, Chip, you need to go see I, War for I the Planet of the Apes. My kids are gone for a week with my wife. All right, apes so, it is. So I'm busy with work, and I'll have I'll have it catch up. The house will be cleaned, or nice. at least my parts. Uh, and then the other thing is I'll catch a movie here or there. Nice. And maybe I'll get some reading done. You never know. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Brings us to our book at our book of the week, and I am beside myself, and I use that term very carefully with our our next conversation. I got to read The Punch Escrow by Tal Klein. Isn't that incredible? This This is this is going to in fact for all of our readers, that will be what we suggest you go to Amazon right or, or your favorite bookstore right now and go ahead and purchase this and start reading. This could be the the next great big book that comes out. We're thinking, you know, think books are like Ready Player One uh-huh. that we reviewed during our anniversary show last year. Mm-hmm. And then you can think of books like The Martian, which, um, you know, we had uh, the movie that was created from it. And the book by Andy Weir did so well. And we're, we're building up in, in September. We get another Andy Weir book coming out, too. Uh-huh. So, so anyway, in between now and then. You, this is your book. This is the book. This is the book of 2017 in so many ways. I'm so happy to have the author, Tal Klein, join us. Good morning, Tal. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I, I I don't want to gush. I don't want to be a fanboy. I just need you to accept these simple conditions of the interview before we start. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I think we're ready to for transport. Every day is like survival. <laughs> Those Every of you who. Day. <laughs> Those of you who haven't read this book yet, stop this podcast right now, go and buy this book and read it, and then you'll understand some of the things that I'm talking about. Tal, how do you write a book that is so much a book for me without... <laughs> because I am you. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. We are all part of the one. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's start off by by at least breaking down a little bit about what this book is about. Yes. The the Punch Escrow. Yeah, this is a book about 
transportation on the energy spectrum, like Star Trek transporter technology. Can, can you tell us the, the simple version of this? I mean, the, the, yeah, the simple version is that, you know, teleportation is a, is a very popular sci-fi trope, right? I mean, uh, you know, whether we're talking Star Trek or even if we go to, to movies, like, to stories like The Prestige, you know, that had the glitch yes. in it. You know, there's, there's, all these, there's all these notions of teleportation and how we, we move from one place to another and so on and so forth. And a lot of times the teleportation trope follows with the sort of clone trope, you know. And I don't have a problem with either one of those. It's just the thing that really got to me is that nobody's ever explored how teleportation would become commercialized. You know, most of the sci-fi stories that talk about teleportation just establish it as something that already that's already exists. And so I wanted to write a story that's set shortly after teleportation sort of becomes in vogue and, and, and possible, and then explore it from that perspective on. And, you know, for the other issue that I always had with the, the clone cloning trope is that, you know, this is not universal, but a lot of times the clone is very two-dimensional uh, and very, it feels like, it feels like whenever we, like in the, uh, the sixth day, you know, the, all the clones were like very expendable. And I really wanted to create a scenario where, yeah, where, you know, where the clone, the clone actually becomes a more uh, affable character than the protagonist. And so, uh, you know, th those are the kind of the two major ideas is like, you know, how does how does society anthropologically accept or buy the notion of teleportation? That is, how do we how do we actually sell the suspension of disbelief? Because teleportation is 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 very uh, bombastic in, in in the way it works. Uh, and it takes a lot of convincing to make that happen. And the other is, you know, uh, when we talk about cloning, how do we really get deep into you know the sort of the, the ship of theseus paradox and allow uh, a character that we we present as a clone to truly develop and become a completely separate character that that is almost equal to the protagonist in importance and gravitas oh, and and you did that in this book let's let's go through the plot just a little bit and, and tell sure. our listeners what this is all about and how we get to that point where we have two people that are identical humans and yes. uh how, how does that happen so we i don't want to give too much of a spoiler basically what's in the synopsis is, is accurate like there's a there's some sort of you know, accident during teleportation mm -hmm. and or not really accident mishap during teleportation and uh, a man uh, named Joel uh, Byram gets duplicated. And what's interesting is by the time he by the time this happens, he will, have, you know, he's teleported, you know, uh, over 100 times. So mm -hmm. um, it's normal. So teleportation yeah, is normal. a normal part of the society. This is set in 2147, 130 years in the future. Yeah. And, and uh, a lot of the science, you know, one of the one of the things I really wanted to get right in this book, and, and like, and I'm sure I will have gotten a lot of it wrong as well, is to try to really come at a lot of the things that exist in the future from a scientific perspective. So, so if we, if there is a technology in the book, that technology has a history, it has an inventor, it has a, uh, you know, it has a predecessor, uh, it has an evolution. 
Um, so everything in the book sort of comes from somewhere and has a purpose. That hard so we don't have science like, fiction. I, I yeah. love the idea of writing fiction, but coming from where we're at today and adding the science and adding a history to it to get to that future. Well, it's possible enough, and that's that's the whole point. You know, if you would have talked to someone 300 years ago about an automobile that you could live, you know, in a suburb and get to the big city, mm-hmm. you know, in an hour, they were like, "Oh, you're crazy." You yeah. Know? And then you know. you're you're absolutely right. I mean, transportation is a great metaphor for our relationship with technology in general. I mean, one of the things that really attracted me as I was writing the book, I was doing research into how did society adopt you know rail transportation, mm-hmm. right? The prevailing scientific minds at the time truly believed that the human body could not withstand being moved at uh, speeds greater than fifty kilometers per hour. They thought that your your organs would come out of your sphincter or that you would just melt. Because of the, the forces of friction. So, you know, when we talk about uh, and, and airplanes, I mean, just let's talk about airplanes oh, for a second. No I'm, I'm, You're gonna I'm be still in a not tube. comfortable flying. You're going to be in a tube. <laughs> we're going to take you up into the sky and you'll arrive in L.A. And you're going to uh, accept hours. some very simple conditions before we move you from, from here to L.A. Yeah. yeah. So flying is, is, is very weird. And, you know, for a long time, you know, the, the, the principles behind lift and drag were, were theoretical. Like there weren't actually mm-hmm. scientific proofs to them until recently. I mean, we knew that they, that they worked because obviously planes flew, but we, we weren't sure how they worked. And even now, I mean, let's talk about, you know, autonomous or self-driving cars. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that takes a lot of trust. Yes. You know, uh, how many car accidents are there a day? You know, whereas you get one Tesla or, or, you know, Google self-driving car that gets into an accident and it becomes international news. Right. Sure. Which is probably fine. I mean, we're, as humans, we're, you know, we only get one life and so we're very protective of it. So we are very cautious in our approach to new technologies and especially when we have to put our lives uh, in the hands of things that we do not understand. You know, I was talking to somebody about uh, flight the other day and they said, well, the thing that makes me comfortable about flying is that there's a pilot there. And I'm like, actually, you know, the pilot's not doing a lot of flying these days. Right. <laughs> he's, he's the fail safe. If something, if something yeah. goes horribly wrong, there's still a human there just in case. But those well, actually, things... they're the worst case scenario. Like, right. So to me, like most, most airplane uh, uh, disasters are human error, not computer. You know, so yeah. it's kind of funny. You know, you, you talk about um, the movie Sully mm-hmm. is a really great example. Or the, you know, the story of Sully, I'm not, you know, I, where you have this notion of like this guy who's 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 basically uh, presented as a hero because he landed the plane in the Hudson, but if you ask the FAA if he just left well enough alone, the plane would have landed by itself just fine. Like wow. they're saying, you know, the counter argument is if you hadn't landed in the Hudson, the plane would have landed at the airport <laughs> as designed. Wow. <laughs> just- <laughs> That yeah, we we put a lot of faith into the people who are making things. We we have to believe the people who are making our software, the people who are making our food. We have to put a lot of faith into a system like you're presenting here in the punch escrow. Yeah, and and I think that that's that's the real key. You know, there's a lot of things that happened recently, but also in the past that, that made me feel very good about selling the suspension of disbelief into kind of how teleportation works. One of my favorite. Uh, recent stories is uh, Theranos. You guys familiar with Theranos? No. The, Tell me about the, Theranos. They're like they're like a nine billion dollar valuation. They they were they were going to disrupt the way blood samples were taken. They were going to do the pinprick oh, on the finger. Okay. And they were going to do uh, sort of lab tests based on pinprick uh, versus like going to the you know if you guys have had your blood drawn, mm-hmm. it's kind of. 
kind of a painful process. And they were, you know, it's also difficult because it requires a lot of expensive machinery and blah, blah, blah. And they, they, they basically came to market and they said, we have this magical device that uh, can perform very complex laboratory tests with a single pinprick of, uh, of blood. And it turned out to be BS, but, you know, they raised a ton of money. Uh-huh. And on, on they had faith. Like, yeah, they had like, they had like incredible, like John McCain was on their board. They had like all these like luminaries on their board of directors. And all of it was just, you know, it, 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 junk science. Hmm. You know, the big idea is that we believe the things that we are marketed to more than the things that are real. Right. And so one of the things that, that I always believed uh and i actually did a, a bunch of just you know non-scientific research about this but i go around like to take anybody who's stuck in traffic and say we had teleportation mm-hmm. and instead of being stuck in traffic you could be wherever you were going in less than a minute but it would require you to be turned into code and then printed out 3d printed in your final destination mm-hmm. and what if i told you that there were you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people who had done it before you completely successfully uh they've been tested in every single way we we can guarantee that you come out exactly as you were you just save a bunch of time you know i think initially you'd have some people who are cautious about doing it but were cautious cautiously optimistic and uh but i don't think you'd have to really fight really hard to to find your initial round of volunteers yeah this is a, a science and a technology that we've been talking about since the 1960s at least with star trek beaming and scotty taking beam me up scotty and and right. and, and kirk is killed destroyed yep. in one location <laughs> to be yep. recreated in another well i mean every a, single time yeah. well i was gonna say as a writer <laughs> or as a person doing visual the story of a you know a Star Trek uh, vessel arriving to a planet and uh, it, they have to you know take six days to be able to get the uh, everything ready to be able to go down for another six days to be uh-huh. able to you know it, that certainly would not make exciting story. It's not an adventure the, that way. The uh, the beaming initially was a, a plot point just to get to where you needed to go for the movie. That's right. But I remember reading something about like how it was a plot device that was in place because they didn't have the budget. To show them taking uh, shuttles onto the planet's surface. Nice. <laughs> Is that true? I, I think it, it sounds like it'd be plausible, if, but it, certainly a shuttle wouldn't be that exciting anyway. No, that's not exciting. Right. We we saw several episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation that that they exist in the shuttles and they have their little adventures. Well, just get yeah. us get us to the planet, get us to what we're we're get us to the, the adventure. The adventure in your book, <laughs> Tal. The adventure is phenomenal that you are on a ride with this with this person uh, essentially with two different people but i won't spoil the plot too much but you are in this running around danger situation i i really look forward to this book becoming a movie that was another surprise uh you know (laughs) so like as all this stuff kind of happens you know there's this guy howie sanders he's like this legendary guy in in hollywood he's the he runs he runs books for a United Italian agency, you know, and like, and he called me up and he's like this really affable guy. Like, I, I can't think of anybody not liking him. You know, he's like, he's like, you're, uh, I don't know. He, he's like, you're, they were designed that way. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like your cool uncle that lives your in Hollywood. Cool uncle he, Howie. He, yeah. Yep. He's like, he's like, baby. Yeah. It's like you're, <laughs> 
you know, and he's like loving the punch escrow. And, and, uh, <laughs> Just a stereotype. And, uh, <laughs> well, stereotype. No, he's a great. He's, he's better than a stereotype because he's so real about it. And yeah. You know, you you want it. It's like you know, I wanted people when I started experiencing Hollywood. There definitely are a lot of people who are who are sort of very much fit, uh, all flash but no substance mm-hmm. kind of thing, but. But no, how he loves books. He he stays in the office late just so he can finish reading books. He reads like I think you know, like three books a week, um, and he doesn't speed read. Like he really gets into it. And I, I remember when he read it, he read the the draft of the, uh, of the punch escrow, and he gave me like five just like killer notes, like amazing notes, like that. I I was like, how did I not think about this? Uh, I think one of the notes he gave me is like, you know, how come Joel isn't you know freaking out? The international transport, which is like the, the the company that runs teleportation, how come he's not freaking out there, that they're always kind of spying on him? Hmm. You know, he's like that would add a lot of a lot of urgency to the plot. So every so often, like you know, Joel kind of looks over his shoulder or like wonders if like one of the people looking at him, you know, is is a you know is an agent or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, notes like that, you know, were so helpful and, and, and were so indicative of how deeply he read the book. And so I was like, okay, look, I had no notions of. I didn't really, I didn't write this thing to to be a movie, you know. Um, really, because so, reading it, I was reading it thinking about what this visual would be on screen. That was not in your mind while you were writing it. That's probably more of a side effect of my developmental editor, uh, okay. Matt Harry, because he's got an MFA in screenwriting. I think he teaches a screenwriting class, and so what he was forcing me to do is think cinematically. Mm-hmm. But like I didn't think about it like when I said cinematically, it wasn't like, OK, imagine how this would display on a screen. It was more like think about the pacing. If you want your audience to imagine this, you know, how would you how would you want this scene to look like in their minds? And like, you know, what is driving the protagonist in this particular moment? So he, he would challenge me a lot in that regard. And I think that made the movie guys uh, get so excited about the, the notion of it. But I really... I, it was really shocking because you got to understand, like, I'm a 40 year old guy from Detroit, like, you know, the Detroit suburbs. I never expected in my life to get a phone call from, like, you know, head of books of UTA. And then, like, a week later to start getting, you know, like these ridiculous bids from, like, the heads of, like, Warner Brothers and, like, Lionsgate and sure. Sony and, like, all that. And like, Lionsgate really... won. They're the ones Lionsgate who. Lionsgate won. James Myers, uh, who's, who's the creative director that I worked with at Lionsgate. He was in Budapest shooting something and and he read the book and we spent I mean, we spent like I don't even know how much time on the phone. And it was very evident to me that that he had read the book like forwards and backwards like 10 times. Wow. You know, anyway, just we had this great chat. And, and, and honestly, everyone in Hollywood is like super nice to me. But like that was the one conversation where I, I called Howie and I was like, you know, I don't know how much they're offering, but like. I really want them. And he's like, well, it's an auction. You don't really, you know, you don't get to your choose. opinion. Your, well, your opinion matters. But, you know, once you open it to auction, like, you, you know, UTA is your agents and, you know, whatever. But he's like, you know, I, I'll make sure that they know. And, and so, you know, he communicated that. And, and, you know, fortunately, they also ended up winning up the auction. But it, honestly, like for me, it was more about it, it's the same thing would happen with the book. You know, when I initially wrote the book, I had a publishing offer from a, a, a very uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, but like a, you know, a, a very established publisher. And I ended up choosing ink shares and, and everybody thought I was crazy. Like my, my agent fired me. Wow. Um, 
but I, I just I felt when I talked to Adam Gomlin at, at Inkshares that he, I, he really understood what I was going for, and I think that every I think that there's lots of people who could have helped me, you know, put this book together. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that I feel like you know, you know, Adam understood the book. This, the same way I feel like you know James at, at Lionsgate understands the story. Uh, that's when you're 40 and, and, and this is not like, and you've got a day job and you're writing because you have a passion to tell a story and you want to, you want to put forth the best version of that story. I think that they sit, the decision criteria changes drastically because I'm not worried about just getting out there. I want to get out there in the best possible way. Sure. That's so exciting for you. So, our listeners really need to stop right now and pick up this book. I think that we've sold it well right now. I think that they have an idea of what we're talking about with the adventure that you have put into this book and the idea of the hard science. What in the very near future could be happening if we did the right things and made the right choices and became a society that uses energy for transportation fascinating oh this is so good the i hope that i haven't gushed too much over you and your work uh, ink shares is great those of you who are not a part of the ink shares community finding authors like tal like uh john francois dubot that we talked to a couple of weeks ago oh he's a genius he a genius. is yeah. such a wonderful writer and you are such a wonderful writer finding people like you on ink shares is a great great experience and i just want to say this is a testament to any of our listeners if you have an idea for a book or something you'd like to work on um you can you can write it now you you can put it together you can find the funding there's crowdfunding for just about any idea that you have if it's a good idea and a lot of people agree with you you can make those ideas happen and uh, well that's cool you know with ink shares they're actually just a real quick yeah the crowdfunding is only like a small portion of the data they use to kind of figure out how to properly, you know, package your book. Like, for example, you know, one of the things that, that they looked at is, you know, when the studios came calling and stuff like that is what were the, the comparable properties like The Martian, Ready Player One. And, and they went and they, they proactively approached also like foreign publishers. So like, you know, Hein in, in Germany, the, it's like the Random House uh, in Germany is going to be publishing the, the German version of this book because – they published The Martian. They published, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ready Player One in Germany. And so, like, it, it's one of the cool things about Inkshares is they use a lot of the data. They're not just they're they're, they're kind of like a new type of publisher that mm-hmm. that that uses like sure the crowdfunding indicates that there is a certain massive of audience that's interested in the book, but they're also very interested in like here are the types of books that are successful right now that are being published that are, people are hungry for. And hard sci-fi was one, you know. Uh, there's another great book coming out called Devil's Call, and that's like a Western witch story hybrid. Hmm. I, I read, I, I read it. I'm absolutely. It's like one of my favorite books now. It's just amazing. Hmm. So there's like, there's like a bunch of really cool things. That, and and one of the things that Inkshare saw is like, look, like there's never been a witchcraft story in the Wild West. Hmm. You know, so it's just this really cool idea of like, how do we bring this to market? There's a, um, there, there's just so many cool ideas that are bubbling up in the uh, Inkshare's ecosystem for things that that normal publishers just wouldn't take a bet on because they're not established these are these are things that are breaking new ground it's a gamble yeah 
This is wonderful. Thank you so much for, for coming in and being a part of this. Uh, our listeners need to go to a bookstore. And if you can't find a bookstore, you need to go to our Amazon store, amazon.toomuchscrolling.com. Today is the day. Your book is available. It's called The Punch Escrow. Tal Klein, this, thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to your future works. And, and a movie version of this. <laughs> I, want, I want this to be a movie. I can think I... of a few people who should be the stars. <laughs> well, you, you feel free to write lines, get email. I have, I have no say in any of that stuff. But I will right. say one last thing: if we go to, if you guys go to Facebook.com/slash/thepunchescrow, uh, there's a list of events that I'm doing. I'm doing a 12 city tour, and you are going to be here in Chicago next Tuesday, August 1st, at Volumes Book Cafe. Your big book tour. You are going around and and shaking hands and kissing babies and and <laughs> explaining to the world all of the wonderful aspects of the punch escrow. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be doing a reading and uh, we'll be doing uh, giveaways and uh, signing babies' foreheads. There you go. <laughs> lots of kisses. A lot of twins. It's a lot the, of the Richard Dawson tour is oh. what we call it. The, lots of kisses. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going all That's over right. the country, but you're going to be here in Chicago next Tuesday, August first, and so we'll we'll be there. And uh, I might buy a couple more copies of this book to hand out to people because I'm telling you, Tal, this is the book of 2017 for me right now. Again, I, I'm very excited. The, the most important part for me is that that you know you enjoyed it and. Different authors write for different reasons. Uh, I just felt like so much of sci-fi is, is dystopian, and mm -hmm. I wanted to write a, a fun adventure that happens in the future. Yeah, bad things happen, but it's not it's not a dystopia. It's a future I'd like to live in. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there any other way that our listeners can contact you and find out more about what you're up to and what you're writing? Uh, easiest way is to find me on Twitter. I'm Virtual Tal. There you go. Excellent. That is a great Twitter username. <laughs> great. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, go out to the bookstore, go out and buy a copy of this, and we'll see you on Tuesday, August 1st at Volumes Bookstore. Thanks. Great to see you. All right. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it, uh, the segment that we call this week Old News. <laughs> well, there's a lot of news here. There is a lot so of news. So Comic-Con was last weekend. Yes. Let's get a rundown of some stuff that you saw. All right. Real quick, I'm not going to barrel you down with Comic-Con news, but there's some there's some really big news coming out of Comic-Con. First, our friend Tal Klein, who you just heard talking about the punch escrow, his movie is being produced by Lionsgate, and as of this week, it has has officially been given a director. This is James Bobin, who was the director of The Muppets from 2011, which makes me a little excited for this movie, a little bit more than I was like four minutes ago when we heard from Tal talking about the movie. Now, we got a whole bunch of trailers, and the big one that we saw, oh. in fact, it may be... This this could be just. I'm I'm hoping it's going to be everything we want it to be because the book was so good. Ready Player One. Ready Player One's trailer is awesome. You should go look at this trailer. The idea of Ready Player One is this kid in the future who lives in a virtual reality life and he loves the 1980s. So it's got all the nostalgia of the 1980s along with all the tech of the future and. A director. So, so your mind's eye from reading this book, and if you haven't read the book, go ahead and pick oh, it up. Yeah, you need but, to read it. But uh, the other part is uh, now it's physical. Actually, you can see it. Uh -huh. And uh, holy cow, it's and really fun. directed by Steven Spielberg. Exactly. With music by John Williams. So, uh, uh, yeah. 
So uh, they what, put, what they, else do you they want? They put the All-Star class there. No kidding. All right, so let's go ahead and we, we got uh, trailers from Justice League. We mm-hmm. got them from Star Trek. We we got them from, you know, you name the franchise. The Defenders came out. Yep. They just kept, you know, releasing them. That's what Comic-Con is nowadays. And we threw them on. If, if you uh, go to our uh, Twitter feed or go to our uh, Facebook tweet, you, you'll see a bunch of them because when I saw them, I went ahead and threw them up, up yep. there for you. So uh, anything else uh, that we uh, want to talk about? So, so like, Steve, is there anything else? All right. So when, when listener Kyle texted me on Tuesday last week and said, Steve, why didn't you talk about the 13th Doctor? I said, <laughs> Chip's on vacation. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, old news of the day. The 13th Doctor has been announced. Her name is Jodie Whittaker. She is a female human who will be playing a female Doctor for the first time in Doctor Who history. And interesting enough, as a non-person who is a non-Doctor Who type person, <laughs> uh, I had a Doctor Who conversation with my buddy, uh, Joe, and his uh, daughters, uh, and they seem to be big Doctor Who fans. So. Uh, along with a number of other people. But my, my point being is, I was discussing Doctor Who. Nice. Uh, uh, you know, Off the air. Steve, I just want to let you know that, because <laughs> I'm thinking about you, when, even when we're not together. What that's, can I say? That's great. This is, this is a great thing. I really endorse the idea that this is an alien, this is not a human. Whether it is a female or a male is, is fluid. There is no reason why the Doctor can't be a woman, and I look forward to the stories that they're going to tell. This will be a lot this. of fun. Yeah. All right, so... If we go and we think about that um, science fiction is now reality, tell, tell me a little bit about how that works. We are one more step closer to all of that science fiction becoming reality. Between the transport technology that we talked about with Tal Klein and all of the MST3K stuff, uh, wait, MST3K is about a guy in a space station who's filming all of his activities, and there's a robot that is making that video available to us here on Earth. The International Space Station, the real International Space Station, now has their own real-life cambot. It's an adorable little droid that floats around in the space station and records what's happening in the space station and sends it back down to us. Steve, that sounds awfully Big Brother-ish. It's adorable. It's <laughs> it adorable. Is pretty, it is pretty cool, isn't it? If you look at it, it looks like a little cat that's following you. If it, if it made meow sounds while it was doing it, I, I, I'm all in. I'm so all a, in. A, a number of parents are ready for these to be available for their kids. Uh, oh, yeah. to, to send them out. <laughs> a, dr- a drone that, that, that helicopter parents for you send it to school with your kid. Yeah. Oh, how fun! It, it just—it's easier to float in space. That's all. The past is reality, Steve. Okay, so Ready Player One is all about nostalgia. Nostalgia for the '80s, playing these video games from the '80s. Our nostalgia is coming in the form of the Atari box. I know this is old news because everybody talked about it last week. But the Atari box is a new console that the Atari Corporation is putting out right before a new Blade Runner comes out, which happens to feature a certain Atari in the original Blade Runner. Well, there Hmm. you go. There you go. The news here... Yeah, tell us the news. The news here is when they made this announcement, the, the... Announcement of this console with the classic Atari titles is one thing. Everybody expects that. I want to play Pitfall. Everybody wants to play Pitfall. But they also snuck in the words current 
titles. And nobody outside of Atari knows what this means yet. But there's going to be something on this new Atari console that might make it the next console. Maybe, How interesting. Maybe not to compete with Xbox and PlayStation, the kings of the consoles, but maybe to compete with the Nintendo, which is really flailing in the market right now. All right. So um, let's go and have some fun, Steve. All right. Let's just say that um, we asked the internet to name something, which we know is always a good idea. <laughs> We've proven over and over again that those this is Swedes, a bad idea. Those Swedes, they never learn, do they? <laughs> <laughs> they have named Train, Trainy McTrain Face. Well, they didn't. The, the population who voted did. <laughs> Um, and anyway, they, they, um, the representative of the MTR Express said, we'll go with it. Yeah, it's fine. All right. It's good. Well, it's fine. playful. It's fun. Who cares? So, uh, if we remember, Bodie McBoatface <laughs> yes. was, was named. Mountain Dew was asked to name some soft drinks. Diabetes was one of them. <laughs> the names. Uh, never ask the internet to name something. No. But anyway, uh, Training McTrainface is a reality. The future is the past. The past is the future. <laughs> it's all happened before. So say we all. So let's say you were going to troll some stuff. Steve, give me some ideas of Star Wars things that you could possibly do. Well, if you were if you were wanting to prove a point and, and wanted to post a scientific study and throw a bunch of Star Wars references in it, you could really make an interesting point about uh, the, how scientific papers work and how... The journals may not be uh, truly... Um, Reading the stuff that they are pr the, producing. Anyway, the Journal of the Sith. No. It, it says a number of so-called scientific journals have accepted Star Wars-themed spoof paper. <laughs> the manuscript is an absurd mess of factual areas, plagiarism, and movie quotes. Oh, jeez. So let's just say um, that that happened. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's always fun to have people poke fun of the world. Um, let's bring us back down to Raleigh, North Carolina. I just got back from vacation on the beach. You look great. You look you look like you had a lot of fun on the beach. Uh, I look like I'm going to be peeling pretty soon. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true, too. Um, but let's just say that you were on an airplane down there. Uh -huh. Anything happen? There was an emergency evacuation of an American Airlines flight down in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, because a, a distinct odor had uh, wafted into the cabin. And we don't want to go lowbrow on this, but it sounded like a <laughs> fart. Oh jeez! Can you imagine? Can and you imagine? They evacuated the the uh, evacuating the, the plane because it was too bad. because of a toxic cloud that was emanating from somebody. It was silent, Steve, <laughs> but deadly. <laughs> well, anyway, um, American Airlines has said no. This wasn't a fart. No, no. Of okay, course not. it was just recycling. <laughs> It was a fart from the previous flight that had gotten through the system. Now, now we seem to have hit a really, really low point this right now. Really low. I'm so, glad you put this story in the stories. So let's make sure that we we bring this back up. Let's go back to one of our founding fathers, oh, Benjamin Franklin. Yes, uh, Benjamin Franklin was known to. Um, to poke fun at scientific things, mm -hmm. scientific papers. Yes. Uh, he didn't write any Star Wars ones. No, but he did write the one Fart Proudly uh, <laughs> that he presented. What did, who did he present? The Royal Academy. <laughs> and basically he was poking fun at all the, the papers that uh -huh. were coming out. Um, and he basically said, I don't know if this is uh, very scientific. Steve, um, 
Do you have a quote from this uh, this this event? This this. I don't book? have a Benjamin Franklin voice, so I'm not going to do a Benjamin Franklin. I don't know what he sounded like, but he said in this paper, "What comfort can the vortices of Descartes give to a man who has whirlwinds in his bowels?" So there you go, Steve. If you're going to present some scientific stuff, that's the classiest stuff. fart joke I've ever heard. <laughs> It's it's a whole book of it. I mean, I'm sorry, it's a whole paper on on this. Um, but anyway, my point is is that um, it's fun to make fun of the world. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin was obviously a very playful person, no doubt. And um, don't forget, it seems like uh, we we've come to the end of our show, Steve. Yes, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully we've gotten through all of the old news. Sorry to Kyle and Deb and Kevin who all walked up to me and said, "Hey, what about what about the thirteenth doctor being a woman? We have to talk about this. This is important." That's what we're here for. That's too much scrolling. Come in every week. We'll talk about the important stuff. So I. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week. Not only can we come back next week, but don't forget, mark your calendars right now. Join us next Tuesday, August 1st, at Volumes Book Cafe in Chicago. Tal Klein, who is my author of 2017, is going to be here in Chicago signing books, shaking hands, kissing babies, and and we'll be there, too. We'll be there. We're going to be there, though, as fans um, in the audience too so join us as we welcome tal klein in this wonderful book oh the punch escrow uh seriously today is the day go to your bookstore go to our amazon.toomuchscrolling.com pick up a copy of the punch escrow right now bring it to the volumes books cafe in chicago next tuesday have him sign it this is a great book this is my my book of 2017 if you need more information there's so many great ways to find more information give us a call or a text our phone number is 805 4104 TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and every day of the week. You can go to our news site, news.toomuchscrolling.com, find all the news that you need. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Essenflow. We'll see you in the future. I just want to be-